Well, if we could, with the Lord's help, for a short while this evening, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read. Paul's letter to the Colossians, and chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and if we read again at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so on. You need to be strong. You need to keep going. You need to just bite your lip and put on a brave face. You need to just suck it up and get on with it and move on. And you know, they're only some of the things that the world will tell us when something goes wrong. That when we're hurt or when we lose someone we love or when we're told of an illness or when we experience opposition, But when life takes those unexpected turns, they tell us that we just need to be strong. We just need to put on a brave face. We need to just keep going. But whatever you do, don't talk about your problems with others. Don't discuss your feelings with people. Don't tell people what's going on in your life. Don't share your struggles or your concerns with those around you. Keep that to yourself. That's your business. That's private. Just bottle all that up inside. Cover it over. Wipe away your tears. Put on the brave face. So that no one will ever see any sign of weakness in your life. Because sharing your problems and talking about your struggles. And highlighting your personal concerns and worries. They say that's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of failure. That's a sign that you can't cope with life. And that you're not managing. And you know that's how the world thinks. And that's how we are shaped by the world. Because to show any sign of emotion or to open up or to talk about personal problems with someone else, people class that as a sign of weakness and a sign of failure. And that's what the false teachers in Colossae were telling these young converts to Christianity. The false teachers were telling the Colossians that talking about their problems or discussing their struggles or having this lack of assurance or sharing their sufferings and their afflictions. The false teachers claimed that these things were signs that the Colossians weren't actually genuine Christians. And that the reason they were struggling so much is because they weren't proper Christians. Because if they were proper Christians, they wouldn't suffer. And they wouldn't have any of these struggles. And they wouldn't have any of these worries. They would prosper, they would be strong, they would enjoy All the good things of life and God would love them and he would smile upon them all day, every day. In essence, the false teachers in Colossae, they presented a prosperity gospel. A gospel that that claimed that if they have God in their life, life will just go plain sailing. But if life doesn't go well for you, they would say, if it's not prospering, if you're not rich, if you don't have a good job, if you're not healthy then God doesn't love you. 
and you're not a proper Christian. And you can see how damaging that theology is. The, the theology of a prosperity gospel. It's not a gospel at all. It's not good news. It's not even true news. To use a modern day term, it's fake news. And in this section that we're looking at this evening, verses from verse, chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 7. In this section, Paul is reminding these young Christians in Colossae. He's reminding them about the good news and what it really means to be a Christian or what the Christian life is really like. Because Paul says that the Christian life isn't about putting on a face. And it's not about putting on a front to people and creating this facade of Christianity. It's about being real, about being genuine. It's about being honest about the struggles and the temptations of life. And that talking about our struggles or talking about our difficulties or talking about our worries or even showing emotion, he says that's not a sign of weakness or failure. No, Paul says it's evidence that your confidence is not in self. Your confidence is in Christ. And that your strength is not your own, but that your strength is Christ. And in order to reinforce Paul's teaching here, Paul talks from his own personal experience. He just talks about how he felt and what he's gone through. And this, in this passage, Paul speaks about three things. He speaks about his suffering, his struggles, and his strength. That's his personal experience. He talks about his suffering, his struggles, and his strength. So look first of all at Paul's suffering. His suffering. Look again at verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And as we've seen in this opening chapter, the, the false teachers, they have claimed that the Christians in Colossae, they're not proper Christians. They're lacking something in their Christianity. And they need something, something more than Jesus. They need Jesus plus. They need to work harder. They need to be more faithful to God. They need to follow certain religious rituals and gain a certain level of knowledge in order to be a proper Christian. Because they say that's how God blesses them. And if God blesses them, well, they'll have no struggles in life and they'll know that God loves them. And as you can expect, all these claims from the false teachers, they left these Colossians feeling inferior as Christians and that their salvation was substandard. And the Colossians, they began to doubt their salvation and they began to doubt the sufficiency of their salvation. But as Paul speaks from his own experience in this passage, he says from the outset, we all suffer. We all suffer. And that the Christian life, he says, it's full of suffering and it's full of struggles. And he says that these things, they're evidence of a genuine Christianity. They're not evidence that you, you're a failed Christian or that you've never been saved in your life. But they're evidence of your Christian faith. Now, Paul isn't saying that you have to suffer in order to be a Christian. Don't get him wrong. But he is saying that when you're a Christian, 
suffering and struggles don't just disappear. He says they're part of the Christian life. And where you turn and who you look to in your suffering and your struggles, it should be evidence of your Christianity and it should be evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, Paul, when you read his letters, he was someone who never hid his struggles. He never put on a front to other people. We can be so guilty of doing that. We can be guilty of presenting ourselves as having it all together, saying nothing is wrong, everything's fine, life is good, it's all going well. And sometimes that may be the case, things are going well, but for many of us, it's not. It's not a reality. But we pretend to ourselves and we pretend to others that everything is okay. But you know, Paul wasn't like that. Paul just said it how it was. He never had this facade that everything in his life was okay and that everything was going well and he was this spiritual giant always on this spiritual high and his life was problem free. Paul never presented himself as this pillar of strength that everyone should look to because Paul never wanted anyone to look to him. He always wanted people to look to Jesus. And when you read all about his suffering and his struggles in his letters. When you read them, you see that Paul again and again, he mentions his chains. In fact, that's the last thing he mentions at the end of, of his letter. Chapter 4, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. He's almost pointing to his suffering. He doesn't hide it. When Paul wrote to Timothy, young Timothy, when he was encouraging him in the work of the gospel, Paul said to Timothy, I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul never hid the fact that he was suffering. When he wrote to the Philippians, Paul said that his suffering brought him closer to the Lord. He said that when he suffered, he had fellowship with Christ's sufferings. That's what he says in Philippians 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may have fellowship with his sufferings. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he said we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. For while we are still weak, he says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul wasn't ashamed to speak of his sufferings and his struggles as a Christian. He often spoke, as he did in Romans 7, he spoke about his struggle with sin. The good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. That's what I keep doing. I don't want to sin, but I keep on sinning. As an apostle, Paul often spoke about how much he suffered. <coughs> not only to show how much he went through, but also to emphasize that he was given strength in his weakness. Because when he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, another letter, Still speaking about his suffering. But in that letter Paul emphasised 
the extent of his suffering. He says in chapter 11 and into chapter 12, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, forty lashes save one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless a night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And Paul said, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. But notice why Paul doesn't present this facade or this front or this face for people to see. He speaks openly about his sufferings and his weaknesses because he says, the Lord has said to me, the Lord has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this is why Paul goes on to say, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, he says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is the point that Paul is making to the Colossians, that suffering and weakness is not a sign of failure and that you can't cope with life. No, for Paul, suffering and weakness is evidence that you're not resting upon your own strength, but relying and resting in the sufficient grace of Jesus Christ. And you know, Paul is saying that when he was at his weakest and his most vulnerable, he was leaning, leaning upon the Lord. And when he was leaning upon the Lord, that's when he was at his strongest. And you know, the same is true for us, that when we're at our lowest, and when we're at our weakest, and when we're suffering because of circumstances, whether that's illness or loss or persecution or whatever it may be, it's when we are saying to the Lord that we can't do it anymore. We can't take any more. That's when we're going in our own strength. And that's when we're casting everything into the hands of the Lord. That's when we'll know the sufficiency of God's <coughs> grace and his strength be made perfect in our weakness. That's when we're carried along. That's when we're kept. That's when we're kept. And this is why Paul could say that he rejoices in his suffering. In verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now just to be clear here, Paul isn't saying that there was something lacking in Christ's sufferings or his afflictions. What Paul is saying is that suffering it's part of the Christian life. Whether that suffering is illness or loss or persecution. But he rejoices in his suffering because he is united to Christ in his suffering. He's part of the body of Christ in his suffering. And you know, that's, that's also why Paul talks about in Galatians. We're to bear one another's burdens. 
Why? Because we're all one body, united to Christ together. But you know, more than that, in his suffering, Paul is, he is an example to the Colossians of human weakness and God's strength. He's, this is what he's trying to present to them. In his own experience, he's trying to be an example of human weakness and God's strength. And so in order to remind the Colossians that it's not a sign of failure or an inability to cope with life if we are weak and suffering, Paul is speaking from his own experience and he says that it's actually an evidence that we're trusting in the Lord's strength and we're trusting in his sufficient grace to get us through. But as Paul continues to speak to the Colossians from his experience, he speaks about his suffering, but then he speaks secondly about his struggles. So his suffering and his struggles. Look at verse 27. He goes on to say, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And as we've already seen, Paul didn't hide the fact that he suffered as a Christian. And in this section, in these verses, verses 27 to 29 and into chapter 2, Paul doesn't hide the fact that he struggled as an apostle. He suffered as a Christian and he struggled as an apostle. And in this section, Paul is speaking about what he suffered as an apostle for the sake of Christ. But Paul makes sure that the Colossians know that as an apostle, he's not like the false teachers who want position and recognition. He's not some celebrity preacher. He's not this professional speaker with an auditory skill that wants to just draw in the crowds. He isn't seek, Paul isn't seeking the limelight and the esteem and the admiration of the public. No, he says back in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. I didn't become a celebrity of God, he's saying. I became a servant of God. And God has entrusted this to me. This is the stewardship which I have received from God. This is what I've been entrusted with. And this is what has been given to me, he says in verse 25, for you. To make the word of God fully known. And for Paul being a minister. Didn't mean that he had this professional title. It meant that he was a servant. The calling which he had received. And the stewardship which he had been entrusted with. It was a life of service. And his life of service was twofold. As it is with every minister. Because the minister is to serve the word of God. And the people of God. And these two things they go hand in hand. Because in Paul's mind the purpose of the ministry is not to present this facade of holiness. And think that the minister is, make people think that the minister is this perfect Christian and he has it all together. Because I can tell you right now that's not true. At all. I'm as much a failure as every other Christian. And I have the same struggles, the same temptations, the same worries, the same concerns as everyone else who wants to follow Jesus. 
And you know, the reason Paul is saying all this is because he wants the Colossians to know that the aim of his ministry is not to be exalted. The aim of his ministry is not to receive the praise of men or have world fame in which everyone stands in awe of him. No, Paul simply says that the calling of a minister is to serve the word of God and the people of God. The calling of the minister is to present the people of God, as he says in verse 26, I think it is. Verse 26, he talks about presenting the people of God mature in Jesus Christ. It's verse 28. He presents them mature in Christ. Because he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's Paul's struggle. His struggle is to be a faithful servant of God who ministers the word of God to the people of God. And unlike the false teachers who wanted position and they wanted recognition, they wanted praise and honor and glory, Paul is drawing attention to his struggles as a minister. And he does that because he wants the Colossians to see that just because he's a minister of God's word doesn't mean that he's some super Christian. And you know, there's always the danger of putting ministers on pedestals. And you know, it's, it's I do it. I do it. But it's wrong, not only because, well, Christ and Christ alone should have that position. But also because they'll always let you down. They'll always let you down. And you know, Paul hated the thought of being elevated or exalted in any way near to or even above Jesus. Because Paul thought, who is Paul? Paul is a nobody. Paul is someone who was saved by Jesus. Someone who persecuted the church of Christ. Saved by Jesus and now being used by Jesus. And for Paul to be given a position other than a position of service is completely wrong. But the truth is, if I can say it, ministers can be guilty of seeking a position other than a position of service and enjoying these positions and even abusing these positions. But you know, when we consider Paul's personal experience, for him, that's not what the ministry or being a minister is about. Because for Paul, he says that when the Lord works powerfully within him, he says the ministry is about serving. It's about proclaiming. It's about warning. It's about teaching. The ministry is about working and toiling and struggling with all your energy to ensure that the disciples of Jesus Christ go on to maturity. Paul says that's what the ministry is about. It's not about Paul. It's not about any other minister. It's about serving. It's about ministering the word of God to the people of God. And as Paul speaks from his personal experience, he says at the beginning of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which is just a neighbouring town next to Colossae. I, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches 
of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul speaks about his struggle as a minister so that even though the Colossians have never met him face to face, he speaks about his struggle so that they will be encouraged to know that even as a minister of God's word, he also struggles. And Paul's hope was that they would take encouragement from his struggle, that they would take encouragement from this and, as he says, have their hearts knit together in love. And have full assurance of their salvation. Because as we said before. That was the the difficulty which the Colossians had. They lacked assurance of salvation. And they had doubts about the genuineness of their Christianity. Because the false teachers. They had filled their heads with the idea. That you need to be a super Christian. In order to be a proper Christian. But as Paul speaks from his own experience. He says that's not true. Because when we share our problems or talk about our problems or talk about the personal concerns and the worries that we may have, he says it's not a sign of weakness or failure or that you can't cope with life. It's a sign and evidence that your strength is not in yourself. It's in Jesus Christ. And you know, when Paul is speaking about being a minister and he's presenting himself as Someone who's weak and someone who doesn't have it all together. Paul's message to the Colossians, it should remind us, it should remind us of what J.C. Ryle once said. The best of men are only men at best. The best of men are only men at best. And J.C. Ryle, he wrote that memorable statement in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And just to quote the commentary, Ryle writes, he's writing about, or he's commenting on Matthew 17 and the Mount of Transfiguration, where God the Father says to the disciples, speaks from the cloud. He speaks about Jesus. This is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And Ryle focuses upon the words, listen to him. And he says, let us see in these words a striking lesson to the whole church of Christ. Because there is a constant tendency in human nature to hear man. There is a constant tendency to hear bishops, priests, deacons, popes, cardinals, councils, preachers and ministers. And they are continually exalted to a place which God never intended them to fill. And sadly they usurp the honour of Christ. Against this tendency, says Ryle, Let us all watch and be on our guard. Let these solemn words of of the vision ever ring in our ears. Listen to Christ. Because the best of men, he says, are only men at best. Whether they are patriarchs, prophets, apostles, martyrs, church fathers, reformers or Puritans. All of them, he says, are sinners who need a saviour. They may be holy, they may be useful, they may be honourable in their place... But they're sinners, he says, and they must never be allowed to stand between the Christian and Christ. Because Christ alone is the Son in whom the Father is well pleased. He says, Christ alone is sealed and appointed to give the bread of life. He alone holds the death, the keys of death and the grave in his hand. 
So let us take heed, says Ryan, that we hear his voice and follow him. Let us value all religious teaching in proportion as it leads us to Jesus. Because the sum and substance of saving faith is listen to Christ. The best of men, he says, are only men at best. And you know, that's what Paul is stressing here to the Colossians. Don't listen to these false teachers. Listen to Christ. Listen to Christ. And so as Paul speaks to the Colossians from his his personal experience, he speaks about his suffering, he speaks about his struggles, and then lastly and briefly he speaks about his strength. His suffering, his struggles, and his strength. Look at verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in, in thanksgiving. And so having shared from his personal experience, about his sufferings and his struggles, Paul now applies all of this to the Colossians. Because he says in verse 6, therefore, meaning now this is what you have to do. This, is, this applies to you. This is where, where you have to apply this to your life. Therefore. But you know, even looking at these words of application, what we have to see here is that even though Paul has never met these Colossians, He's having fellowship with them. Because as we said before, the word fellowship means sharing. And in this section, Paul has been having, he's been having fellowship with the Colossians because, he, because he's been sharing with them from his personal experience. And that's what fellowship is. It's, and that's what fellowship should be. It shouldn't be talking about the unanswerable questions in the Bible. Fellowship should be about Sharing from our experiences, whether good or bad. And it should be sharing so that we can encourage one another in the faith. And for Paul, it wasn't a sign of weakness or failure to to have fellowship and share from his personal experience. It was a means of strengthening and building up and encouraging the Colossians in their faith. And you know, that's why it's good to have fellowship. That's why it's good to have a Bible study. On Colossians in an informal setting where we can open up the Bible and where we can share from our experiences and where we can talk about maybe sufferings or struggles or weaknesses. Not that we can not so that we can just point at one another and say that they're a failed Christian. It's not so that we can do as Paul is doing here. We can speak about our struggles and our suffering so that we will encourage one another. And that through sharing experiences, as Paul says to the Colossians, that our hearts would be encouraged and knit together in love. And that we would experience all the riches of full assurance of faith. And you know, as Paul speaks to the Colossians from his personal experience, his testimony was that he was weak. He did suffer. And he did struggle. But his testimony was God's grace was sufficient for him. And that even in his weaknesses, he could say as he did to the Philippians in chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I can do all things through Christ because He is my rock. He is my rock. And you know, it's because of this fellowship, this sharing of his personal experience that Paul applies it to the Colossians. And he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And knowing how weak they are and how insignificant they feel and how low they can be. Paul, Paul's longing is that the Colossians and that we too, that we will walk in the way of our confession. Because like the Colossians, we have confessed that Jesus is our Lord. That's what we saw last time. Jesus being our Lord. And we've confessed that Jesus is our Lord. And on confessing that he's our Lord, we must continually confess like Paul that he is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my shield, my high tower. He's the one who keeps me. He is my rock. And that as our rock, says Paul, we are rooted in Christ, that we are continually being built up and established in our faith. My friend, Paul's testimony here to these struggling Christians, and even as a reminder to ourselves, Paul's testimony and our testimony is to be like that of Psalm 62, which we'll sing in a moment, where David could say about Jesus that he is his Lord and his rock. And you know, this is the, the confession we always have to keep coming back to. He only my salvation is. And my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defence. I shall not moved be. You can have confidence in your Christianity. Not because of yourself. But all because of the rock upon which your feet stand. He only my salvation is. And my strong rock is he. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee for even that insight into Paul's personal experience. And Lord, how we see in his own life, we can see struggles and, and suffering and stress and all these different experiences. And we thank Thee, Lord, that his testimony, his testimony was as he could say, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And that, Lord, we would be like Paul, that we would boast in our weaknesses. That the power of Christ may rest upon us. That we would know that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. And that we would realise that these words are not words just to spur us on mentally. But that they are words of spiritual effect. Words that remind us of who our Saviour is and what our Saviour is able to do in us and for us because he can do in us and for us exceedingly abundantly above all more than we could ask or even think. O Lord, remember us then, we pray. Remember those who may be struggling, those who may be suffering. Lord, that thou wouldest remind them anew tonight that Jesus is our rock 
He is our fortress. He is our shield, our high tower. One in whom, as thy word reminds us, one in whom the mighty can rush in, and they are safe. Safe under the shadow of his wings. Bless us, Lord, together. Help us to know that, that we are the body of Christ, that we are united to one another. And help us then to bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. Go before us then, we ask. Keep us on the way, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We shall conclude singing the words of that psalm, Psalm 62. <coughs> psalm 62, page 294. And we're singing from verse 5 down to the verse marked 8. Psalm 62 from verse 5. My soul wait thou with patience upon thy God alone. On him dependeth all my hope and expectation. He only my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defence. I shall not moved be. Down to the verse marked 8 of Psalm 62. To God's praise. My Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.